Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, and entrepreneurship. Whether this is your first time here or you're an avid listener, we're thrilled to have you as a part of our community. Our goal is to share stories of successful entrepreneurs and investors in the hopes that they assist you along your journey towards financial freedom. We discuss successes, failures, systems, motivations, experiences, tips and tricks, and key lessons learned over time. After each episode, you should feel motivated, empowered, and prepared to take action in your own life. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily content, personal finance tips, and document our own journey towards financial freedom. All right, everybody, the boys are back with another episode. This week, we interviewed special guest Shelby Osborne. She is a real estate investor, entrepreneur, broker, and U.S. military veteran with over 74 rental units and in her early 30s. I hope you guys aren't tired because you're about to be woken up by a firecracker. We got your coffee. <laughs> we got you woken up by a firecracker of energy here. She, um, Shelby, yeah, she said she was 30, 31. Okay. 31. And yeah, she's 74 units. Like, and she started out by doing this with a VA loan because she was in the military. So she got a VA loan, her dad, you'll learn about being a conductor in this episode, her dad who told her, Hey, this is really what you should do. Get a house. And then she kind of fell in love with the process here. And then found a sweet spot in her niche. I mean, ex-military, she rents to military members and, and veterans and their parents that come down and visit them. Yep. So she kind of translated her portfolio from long-term to short-term rentals and has a little bit of hybrid. Uh, I just love her strategy. She found this perfect little, like she's using her business. knowledge, like using her own niche of saying, I was in the military. I know what the p- people in the military are looking for. I'm taking advantage of all the events they have. They, the people in the military get stipends. So she knows it's secure rental income, almost like government housing section eight type in a way where if the people aren't paying, she can go to their, I forget the word she used, maybe like their commander or something that makes essentially forces them to pay. And then turning this into short-term rentals where she's making a thousand dollars a month in cash flow on 18 short-term rentals. I mean, do the math there. She's absolutely killing it. That's just in one half. Then the other, or that's just three fourths of her portfolio is her long-term. It's, it was a very, very good episode. We do get into the details and the nitty gritty. And we kind of talk like a little bit about what makes her tick. Like we always do at the end of every um, show. What do you think? We bring her in here. Yeah, let's do it. Shelby, officially welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. Corey and I are thrilled to have you here. We, as we mentioned previously, we've been following your story for a while now. Incredible incredible stuff that we've learned and we'd like to share it with our listeners. So um, if you could give a little brief background on yourself, who you are, where you're from, and then how you got into real estate investing, why you picked real estate as your, your vehicle. Oh my gosh. So many things. <laughs> well, first of all, thanks guys for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, okay. So where I came from, who I am, I guess. So yeah, I, <laughs> I went to the university of South Carolina and graduated and commissioned into the army. So I did ROTC for four years because uncle Sam was like, Hey Shelby, we'll pay for your school. If you pay us back afterwards. And I was like, you know what? I'll do it. So I graduated and I went into the army as a second lieutenant. And my first duty station was in Fort Lewis, Washington. And that's where my dad was like, Hey Shelby, there's this thing called a VA loan where you can buy a house with 0% down. And I was like, well, okay, that's actually not a bad deal. So I bought a house when I first moved as a second lieutenant, I was 22 years old. And I did not think more about real estate at all. 
Um, never intended to be an investor. I actually had no idea what I wanted to be when I grow up, you know, sometimes still feel the same, but, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, uh, was in the army and the four years came up and I didn't know what else I wanted to do. So I decided to stay in a little longer and PCS is what they call it. So change duty stations to Fort Bragg. North Carolina, which is um, the center of the universe, so they say, in the military world. And we were, I was in the airborne unit. I was jumping out of airplanes. I did the rappelling out of the helicopters. I did the whole Army thing and um, was scheduled to deploy. And the Army kind of messed around with my life a few too many times. And it really got me thinking about whether or not I wanted to live that life forever, where someone was in complete control of my time and told me whether or not I could travel outside a 250 mile radius on the weekends. And I started looking for different options. And I was like, yo, that condo that I bought when I was 22 is now worth $80,000 more than when I bought it. And I put a tenant in it and it's making money every month. And I'm not doing anything really like had a property manager. And I was like, you know what? Like real estate, that sounds pretty cool. So <laughs> a lot of things wow. fell in place at one time. And I decided to get out of the military and get my license agent thing to support my dream of being an investor, investor first. And then, um, was that too much story? <laughs> no, that was, that was the perfect amount of story. I think okay. this is a, this is a really interesting way that you, cause you kind of did fall into it. Like you fell into it based on some good advice from your dad, which is awesome. Totally. Shout out to your pops there, but you fell into it a little bit and then you realized it was a good thing, which is one thing, but then how did you, I mean, people don't know your story. If they're listening to our podcast, maybe they do, but you have over 80 units now and you're in your early thirties. Right. So like you didn't just like, what's that? 74 <laughs> units. Sorry. Okay. Got it. 74. Yeah, that's... It. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So 74 units in your early thirties. So you really turned like turned up the gas. Yes. What, what about it was like you, okay, this got, this went from, this is a good thing to like, no, I'm going to make this my thing. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of downplayed the level of frustrations that I felt in the military. Probably it like entirely lit a fire within my soul about how passionately I felt about not wanting anyone to control my future. And that completely drove me um, at an insane pace. And I was, in, I was very fortunate to have met uh, a few like-minded people and we began building a community of completely like fire driven like every time, you know, you turn around, they're doing something else, which pushes you to go further. And then you partner on a deal. And before you know it, you're like, how the fuck did this happen in just a couple of years? So a lot of things like that fell in line. If that kind of answered your Yeah, question. that makes it, we're the same way. It's just, you have the, I don't know how to explain it. It's almost like you're it's kind of like the entrepreneurial gears a little bit that you just can't stop. Like no matter obsessed. how hard you try. Yes. <laughs> That's how I look at it. Like that's a little trend something the other day. I forget what it was, but it was like, it kind of explained it perfectly where like, you almost have to try to shut it off in a way. Yeah. yeah, You can at this point, we've built this community of people in the fire movement, real estate movement. You just, like you said, you see someone doing five other things and it seems like two days and you're like, okay, I got to keep going. I can't just be lazy because the time never stops, right? It keeps going. And and there's people that really take advantage of it, which is cool. I think that's why we like our partnership as well too. And I don't know if you feel this way or if you've have a partner at all, but we balance each other out and like keep each other going. Like it's an accountability partner, not only as like a, an equity partner. Right. So totally, I really like that aspect of it and in the whole real estate game, but um, yeah. So why don't we talk about you? Well, you figured out this was a good idea. You kind of built some partnerships and you uh, 
and, and you, you were on your way. So what was kind of your first moves? Like, how did you start to build this portfolio of 74 units? It hasn't happened in that long of a period of time. What was your first, I don't know, couple moves that you made? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I had that one from back in 2013, um, when I was 22 and then we're, we're at almost 2018. We're at the end of 2017 at this point, And I'm still in the army, but I knew I wanted to go now. I was about to get out in the beginning of 2018. And so I bought my first purposeful investment property, which is a duplex. And I put 25% down because I, you know, did not know all the ins outs of all these strategies. And I was just like, I need to go now. These numbers work. Um, and I did. And I closed and I was like, wow, I can't put 25% down a lot of times because that's a lot of money. And I have to yep. be able to be making a shit ton of money if I want to keep doing this. So I used my VA loan again for the second time. And this time I bought a quad. So I got four off of that one, lived in one, rented out the other three. And then by this point, I was out of the military. I did not have a W-2 anymore. So, and I didn't know all, again, all of these different, like that you don't need a W-2 to keep investing. So I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to keep doing this? And I um, aggressively pursued private money as an option to do the first strategy because, you know, I fell into the burn and I'm like, wow, you can buy something. You can put all of this work into it and you can recycle funds over and over again. Wow. I, you know, we can do that. And you speed up the clock. You only, you know, you have that chunk of money that you can use time, time again. And it was really the burr for me for there on out. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's like one of the strategies that obviously recycling money gets you there faster. And that's uh, it's an aggressive strategy, but it really works. My question is what, what regional market was this applicable mm -hmm. in like where did you start to yes. invest in and maybe other people can kind of take that obviously it's a different market now than it was when yeah. you started buying i'm sure yes. but that's where I, all your equity comes from where did you start where did you look i've totally screwed up this market for the rest of fayetteville but fayetteville north carolina <laughs> oh, cool. is yeah exactly where i have the majority of my portfolio and where i did all of the bird day the bird deals back in the glory days uh, before myself. And then my whole community got really loud about it. And now there's lots of investors in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So, but <laughs> I was about to say, okay. we know a few, uh, I've heard, I've heard Fayetteville, yeah, we have. Um, but I heard it's a great market too. It and is. so, and even still, that's great. Can you talk about um, the pricing on some of these? Like, I know you said you use your VA loan, but just for just for someone to get an idea, like, are you paying sure. like two, three, four hundred thousand, or and go from like, a, give us, I guess, your your quadplex on like, how much was that? Sure. Yeah. So my my quadplex was two fifty, and that is for Fayetteville. Like, oh my gosh, you're spending two hundred fifty thousand dollars on anything. That's so much money. <laughs> Good. It's not for Philly. So wow. Yeah. We need to move. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, prices have increased over the past, you know, just like everywhere else. So $250,000 for that same quad that I bought in 2018, it's, I mean, you'd be paying a lot more now, but when I was picking up these bird deals, like my very first bird deal, I got for $40,000 on the MLS as a HUD foreclosure. So we used to have a shit ton of foreclosures in Fayetteville. Like you can just pick and choose like candy. And a lot of them are like $40,000. That first one I put 40 I bought it for 40 and I put 20 into it and I just refinanced it recently, actually for the second time and it appraised at 115. So, I mean, wow. that's, that's still a chunk of change. 
I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> they're not huge numbers. They're small, but it's really nice because it's got that low barrier for entry. And the cool thing about Fayetteville too, is that because it's a military market, there's this thing called a housing allowance where the soldiers are given a yeah. set amount every month to go out and pay their rent. So you have much more likelihood of that stability. You know exactly who's making what. So if you want to price it, like I know that, you know, X amount, you know, people who are looking for housing in this range are going to get paid this month, month, monthly. Does that make sense? I just stumped. Yeah, absolutely. And Shelby, that's a, <laughs> that's a great tip for people who are listening right now. If you're trying to find and decide on the market to, to move, not to move, to, to invest in real estate, if you're looking at a state, try to find an area. If there's a military base, like you said, they're given stipends. I know somebody personally who used to be a realtor who was given $2,000 a month from the military and he only spent a thousand of it on his housing. He was renting at the time, but he pocketed the other thousand. So those types of people who are looking for properties like that, where to live, they may not be that selective. Right. If they're, it's not their money, they may be selected if they are pursuing financial independence. But if Most it's not their money though. that they're spending, yeah, right. Yeah. A lot of people in the military may not be. Hopefully, after right. this episode, more are. But yeah. that's a cheat code also to find tenants. Think about that. Like you're, you basically are all your tenants that in your in your seventy four units from the military because they have not, cash to use? Not all of them because most now I've switched from the Airbnb world too. So, but I mean, some are. Um, I mean, I have military tenants, but not all of them are. I do like it too, because I understand since I was in the military, I understand like the structure. And so like the command structure, if people don't pay, you go to their command team and say, your soldier is not. Yep. And it- yep. Absolutely. I heard that too. And it's like, there's, that's like go, going, not like it's, higher than a boss, right? It's like somebody's going to make, you're going to pay, like they're going to pay, they're going to be good tenants. Right. So that's uh that's very cool. Let's talk about your creative financing. I know you've done some bird deals, but you said, Hey, listen, you aggressively started pursuing, um, deals, partnerships, right? Essentially like, so how are you leveraging other people's cash or getting people to partner up with you? So when I said partnerships earlier, I meant like a true partnership on some of like, I did some turnkey multis where it was like me 50, 50, we brought our own cash and we got turnkey multi. Like that's what I meant by partnerships with the private money. Um, I've done the majority of the private money has been just for myself. Um, and when I, I don't partner with my lender, it's purely, uh, they lend me the money and we agree on terms and, uh, balloon payment. And I pay them either monthly or quarterly or at the end of the project, depending. Uh, can you give us an example of, of a private money deal that you've done? And just, you can, even if you want to give round numbers, but just so, so for example, let's just say, Corey and I, let's just say we're on our first deal, right? And we're, right. we're, or sorry, second deal, but we, we didn't, we don't have another 50K or 60K to, to drop down as a down payment. How do you leverage private money? So someone pays for your deal and then like, how do you pay them back? I think people need a refresher on that. Totally. Um, the coolest thing about private money is that it's completely whatever you decide for it to be, whether you, it's just you and the lender who's not even a real official lender. They just have money and they're lending it to you decide on the terms together. So that's why I love it so much because if you go to hard money, they're like, okay, um, two points, um, insane amount of interest monthly, penalty, 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 whatever the case is. If you're talking to another human where it's like, hey, um, where's your retirement you know, sitting right now, if you don't mind me asking, depending on how well you know them. And if it's sitting in a bank, that is the easiest conversation to have. Because you talk about the fact that what is, oh, what interest rate like are you getting on the money that's sitting in the bank? Do you, do you know what inflation was last year? Do you know how much money we lost by letting it sit there last year? And then, you, you know, you feel the pain of that loss 
uh, and people don't want to lose. And so it's like, hey, I have this opportunity where I could promise you 8% uh, interest only payments over 12 months. Does that sound interesting to you? And they're like, wait, 8%, I'm getting 0.001% currently. Hell yeah, that sounds interesting. So it's all about knowing your audience too and realizing that you are not your target audience. You have to put yourself in their shoes. That's uh, first of all, I can see how you grew, you scared your portfolio. I almost gave you money sitting in my retirement account just with that pitch <laughs> there. So, but, but I think like, here's the thing, what you just mentioned is really important is you're actually doing these people a favor. You think you're asking them for money, but you're, you're helping them make more money. And I think that's the mindset shift where people need to go after private money more. And even where I'm talking to ourselves, right? Like we, in order for to obtain private money, you really got to show and prove to these people that you're actually giving them a major benefit. You're not asking them for any money. You're giving them this amazing return. Yeah. The yes. opportunity. Yes. Exactly. Every so, free, you know, whenever I'm talking, it's all about like, are you interested in an opportunity? It's not like, please do me a favor. It's like, yo, you want to make money? Let's free go. Yeah. yeah. I love that. <laughs> so let's just say, for example, so you find, so you explain to someone, right? Hey, inflation 6.2%. You're losing 6.2% on your, on your cash. I can make you 8%. Here, what, like, what are, as an example, set of terms? And then, like, would you pay them monthly? Is it annually? And then are they, once they're fully paid back, are they out? And then the property's fully yours? Like, how's that work? Yeah. So it all depends. So usually what the, and it usually goes different the first time we do business together and then every time afterwards. So this is the way it's normally working is that the conversation happens and somewhere it's around, I mean, I've had seven or 8% interest only on the money with no points. So I'll pay for the wire fee and then I get the funds and then it's starting the next month. If that's what they choose, then they'll receive the interest only payments. Um, some people are like, just keep it and give me a lump sum at the end of the project for that 8% as how much time you held it, which that works too. But depending on their level of confidence and real estate and their experience and stuff like that, sometimes it's a promissory note, a personal guarantee, a lien against the property, any of those things, which I've done so many times, the attorney, you know, loop them in. Would you like to speak to the attorney? Here they are, you know, the whole nine yards. And then after the project is over, they're like, Okay. Um, do I do I have to get it back, or can you just keep it? Can you just can we do another one? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And then it's cool because they're like, do we have to do this? Like, I mean, the, it all goes with the conversation, but like, do we have to do all these little things every time? How about you just keep it for five years? Just go with it for five years, reuse it, and at that point in time, we can retalk if I want it back or not. So really five-year balloons are great. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that that is amazing. You really dumbed it down, honestly. That's perfect. Just thank you for that. We used we we're slow. We're, we we have some. No, no we had a lot of people explaining this, and it's just a little bit more. The way you broke it down seems so simple. And we were doing research on HELOCs recently too, and it's it seems pretty similar. Just rather than you know you're using your own cash that you can continually re reuse. So I like it a lot. It's it's food for thought for people that are sick of saving up over and over 50 K 60 K hundred K just to like oh, yeah. drop into properties. And then you just, you see your bank account go to zero and yeah. you have to start over again. And, um, and of course so I appreciate it's not to be taken lightly. I mean, you guys know that, but like when the minute that you are working with other people's money, it's like your analysis go way up. You look at those numbers way harder. You, you know, everything is like 10 X the amount of, um, fucking focus and detail on it when it's someone else's money. And I just had to throw that in there, but we can move on. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's good. No, it's, it's great. 
the the I guess the next question that we have here is kind of in relation to marketing and finding these deals. You're we talked about the fourplex and and obviously maybe the way that you market and find deals now is different than when you first started, right? And I'm sure it is, but like, can you maybe give us through how you used to find deals for somebody who's starting out, how you find them now, what's the best way to acquire 71 units in the amount of time that you did? Um, So for me, I've acquired them in in a bunch of different ways. And it kind of, just like you said, it's, it's different depending on where you are in the market, what specific market you're in. Um, so my first couple of deals I found on the MLS, like the quad, the, the duplex that I put 25% down on, um, was they were both on the MLS. And then my next one was that had foreclosure also on the MLS. My next three were off market and it came from driving a neighborhood, seeing a really shitty for rent sign in front of a six unit apartment complex and being like, that guy hates his life. So I called him and turns out he did hate being a landlord and I uh, ended up buying that one as well as a duplex. He's like, I don't want these anymore, please. Um, so off, off market from you know driving for dollars, essentially calling signs. And then I've done a lot of courthouse foreclosures. That was really big in my acquisition as well. Very cool. We've heard, we've heard about that, but I haven't had, we have not specifically gone and and done a foreclosure, especially at a courthouse, but um, what do you think (laughs) Shelby is the best way to analyze these deals? How do you know if it's a good deal? So you find it sounds like you found it every way possible, which is great. Uh, But how do you know if it's a good deal and what's a good deal to you? What does it look like? So again, it totally depends on the market. It also depends on your goals and what kind of problems that you want to deal with. Oh my gosh, that answer. Yeah. What's a good deal? When people ask me that, I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't tell you what's a good deal. Like, sure. You have yeah. To so like, let me, I'll give you a scenario then of like a hypothetical me and I'll tell sure. you what, what maybe you think I should look for in a good deal. Let's just say that I was trying to obtain, um, you know, $50,000 in, 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 passive income. And I wanted to stick to small multifamilies uh, until maybe I grew to a point where I felt comfortable in larger multifamilies. Like if you're looking at a small multifamily, maybe you have a threshold, you try to, maybe you want to get 200 a door, 300 a door, 400 a door. Is it just that? Or what, what would I be looking for if I wanted to obtain small multifamilies? Um, so that's what if- you did in the beginning. That's why I asked. Yeah. So I shifted when okay, cash flow definitely was my, my drive and all of this, because, you know, you want that money coming in so you can have that time freedom. Um, and I quickly learned that buying property and putting a long-term tenant in there, at least for me is that $100, $200 a door takes a lot of doors to add up. Um, <laughs> so that's where I turned into the, the short-term rental and in that Burr and B strategy where you do the, the Burr strategy, but then you do a short-term rental on the back end instead of a long-term for me personally made the most sense because I got to recycle those funds, but instead of just pulling out everything I could and maxing out that loan to value and putting a tenant in that will just barely cover maybe hopefully the 1% rule, um, you're able to have that short-term rental on the back end and really increase your income income per property and still be able to recycle the funds. Oh, I like that. So I think we should do that. Burbnb is what you said. Exactly. So out of your 74 units, how many are long-term and how many are short-term? So I have 18 short-term rentals. 
Wow. And are they all, is this all in Fayetteville as well? Or um, yeah. So all of my short-term rentals are in Fayetteville. All of my property is in Fayetteville, except for I'm about to close on a flip in Charlotte. Um, but I don't count that in my numbers. Um, and then I have two more doors that I'm renovating in Charlotte, but everything very else is cool. in Fayetteville besides my Washington property, that very first one. Sorry. So no, it's <laughs> awesome. That's great. Thank you for that. So let's uh core, big initiative for us. One of our goals for 2022 is to purchase an Airbnb. And obviously we know it takes a lot. It's, it's just a different beast than a long-term mm-hmm. rental. So um, who we interviewed Avery Carl. Um, she just wrote uh, what's short-term rental, long-term wealth. Bigger that, was our, that was last week. Yeah. Last week. And then um, Travis is happy. I'm not sure if you know him, young retiree by 33, but they're like our Airbnb experts. So I'm glad we have you on the show now too, to help us out. I mean, sure. clearly 18 units is nothing to, um, it's nothing to sleep on. It's, it's, it's amazing. So can you talk about the differences and why you see a benefit now for someone to go the short-term rental route versus the long-term? Cause I think a lot of people think, and is it just a fad, right? Like, is it, is it a thing that's going to last or how did, what's your vision on this thing? So my vision on it is that I do think that it will last. And even if it doesn't last, my contingency plan is the fact that um, my Airbnbs are in Fayetteville and there are three giant hospitals in Fayetteville and the traveling nurses aren't going to go away and they still need, uh, you know, furnished findings is like the whole traveling nurse. So that's my contingency plan. You don't think Airbnbs are going away, right? Um, We've been told there's like three specific niches, if you will, like between markets, there's the regional market. Um, which is like easily drivable to, let's just say if you're in, um, if you're in Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains, for example, right? Like people mm-hmm. can go vacation there easily. They just hop, they just hop in their car. Then there's ones where people go fly and it takes a while to get there. And then there's other yeah. markets, like a Metro market. And I'm thinking right. it's like the, uh, hotels kind of have beef and lobbyists have beef with Airbnb coming in and the regulations are a little bit more strict. So Fayetteville, I'm not sure where that falls into any of these. Was it? Can you explain that? Is it just you. You just find this little pocket? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a cheat sheet. That's why I've been pulling this. I got a cheat sheet for everything, man. Whatever you need a cheat sheet on, I got you. Great. But <laughs> okay, so why Fayetteville? Um, so Fayetteville, like I mentioned earlier, is the home to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which is the center of the freaking universe in the military. And there are almost always soldiers coming in and leaving. And when they come in and their rental's not ready for them, they gotta have a place to stay. Or when they're buying a house and they can't close until next month, they have a place to stay. Same with the selling. Oh, the market's hot right now, sell. What are you gonna do? You're gonna live in an Airbnb for whatever, a couple of weeks. Um, so that's one. Uh, the VA hospitals, for sure, that I talk about the hospital situation, but also at the military installation, which is ginormous, there are deployments where that's when people go off, you know, to deploy and their families all come in to say goodbye. There's redeployments where they come back. The families come in to say, welcome home. There's retirement ceremonies. There's promotion ceremonies. There's Thanksgiving where their soldier can't leave the barrack, but mom's going to come down and get an Airbnb to cook the turkey. Like this is a huge magnet. And also it's the direct halfway point between um, New York and Florida down 95. So that helps too. Wow. Very cool. No, that's huge. And you're essentially... Because you learned so much about the military when you were in the military, maybe things mm-hmm. that you didn't like about it, that's great too. But you learned how to sort of capitalize on the, the military market and like all these people that it's it's big business, right? I mean, you have, like you said, the ceremonies and you have s- s- an influx of people that are need places to stay. Everyone needs somewhere to stay. So I think that that was 
really, really smart on your part. Really smart. Can you talk about analyzing Airbnb deals? And uh, you know, I've heard a couple of different websites, like AirDNA is the one that keeps jumping out to me that, that people yeah. kind of bring up all the time. But being that I mentioned it's a different beast, let's just talk through the process of, let's start with analyzing a deal. But then sure. I also do want to get into your systems for like, how the hell do you even manage this business? Because I know there are systems, but it, you're, if you're doing it yourself, it's, it's daunting, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so when I was analyzing these Airbnbs, most of them Burr and Bs, my strategy for analyzing it was to analyze it as if it's not a short-term rental. And I know that may sound crazy, but it is just like what you said in the beginning. What happens if the city shuts them down? What happens if you you'd have no future for them? So I wanted to make sure that all of the the properties that I were was buying would also work well as a normal long term rental. So that's honestly how I did um, the majority of my analysis. And then what I actually found through um, one of my pillars, he was the first one to dive into Airbnbs, and he was making you know two to three times the amount of a long term rental. And I found that to be true kind of across the board is that generally whatever they're going to be producing as a long term, it's two to three times as much. So I don't really have like this system to tell you that's crazy, but I mean, there's a lot more things that you need to consider in regards to like expenses that go along with Airbnbs that. Through experience, a lot of this I've, I've just discovered and it's um, disgusting, but like all of the utilities that, you know, you're not thinking about for a long-term tenant because they're putting it in their name. Um, and then that lawn care and the quarterly roach treatment and the summer mosquito treatment and the uh, freaking carpet steams and garbage and septic and security system and thermostat. I'm reading down my cheat sheet, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, all of those expenses um, really do add up. A along with the longer that you've had the Airbnb, then you're going to have to, you know, someone pukes on the couch and maybe you don't have insurance on the furniture like I didn't in the beginning for sure. Um, or whatever happens, things break, beds break. So I'm right. Very cool. But do you so yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. Point. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's, it's with more people coming in and out, right? You obviously have, if you have more transactions, more feet, more bodies in the house at, during a month, where if you're a long-term tenant, you have them and maybe a family member that comes and stays by. So, so, or stays with them. So having that multiple transactions, people coming in and out, more cleaners. So that is the attention to detail that you have to have as the owner in order for it to run efficiently. And I think the next question there would be like the systems that you use. Do you manage these all yourself? And it you don't right. So no. are you paying? Just walk us through that. Are you paying the twenty five percent fee to have a property manager do it for you? Which is so to some people, it's like I'm not giving up that money, right? But for you, I don't think it's like that. So just walk us through the management, the systems, and all of that. For sure. And I do want to just say something real quick about the wear and tear. So the, it's periodic wear and tear. As a whole, I found that generally wear and tear is less just because if you think about Airbnbs, people come in on a Friday, they drop their bags, they go out, they crash Saturday, you know, maybe they leave Sunday. So it is overall less. And I just didn't want to give the false. Got it. Okay. That's great to know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, cool. So the way that I started out the Airbnbs is I put a property manager in place right away. I did the 25%. Um, and on, I mean, it still made a ton of money, even after the 25%, like no issue. The only issue is that um, I had difficulties with communication with my property manager and the um, ability to communicate and get on the same page was really lacking. So I tried a, and that was a local guy. And then I tried a national brand and, oh my God, it was even worse, to be honest. That's, 
it was actually terrible. And so now I'm actually in the process of moving my entire portfolio out from the national manager who I got 16% with them, by the way, um, into an in-house girl who right now I pay her hourly and um, so much less than it is paying 16%, 25%. And it's nice because she's building all the systems. And if I want something modified, it's, it's modified. I don't have to go through this battle of, you know, it's not my system to change type of thing. Yeah. Well, Shelby, so you just painted a picture for us. So with 18 Airbnb um, short-term rentals, you're saying that that can easily be done with one full-time person. Is that kind of how you have this person working for you? One full-time? She's barely, she's not full-time yet, but the, again, the, not everything has transferred over yet, but I don't, even when it's full throttle, I don't think she'll be full-time just because of the automation that's put in place. And it is because everything can be automated from when it's booking, it's booked online to the, hey, congratulations, you're booked. Here's the booking information. You guys have probably seen Airbnb's before where you get that. Here's the information you need for the Wi-Fi and the access code and all that is automated. So, and even from there, it feeds, and I'm not the one in the weeds doing this, so I just understand the concept, but it feeds into our cleaner's schedule, which there's a turnover B&B like app where the, it feeds from Airbnb and it shows the check-in is the state, the checkout is the state. So the cleaner can put it on their schedule and the cleaner is automatically notified for that as well. Um, so the, the main things that she has to do is solve problems. You know, if there's an issue with whatever, or if that person wants a specific recommendation on a child-friendly whatever. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, that's good to know. So I think... We when we interviewed Avery Carl last week, they they have um, the short term shop, and they're teaching the people that that are purchasing homes. They're helping to find helping people who want short term rentals to find them, and then they're teaching them how to manage them themselves. So cool. As we start to grow our portfolio, we're currently managing self managing long term rentals. We only have seven units, so it's not that many, but we're already thinking about, okay, how can, as we get to 10 and 15 and 20, how do we get that into a property management system? For us, we would think if we're going to do short-term rentals at a distance, we would definitely want to have a, a manager, but totally. maybe there are ways that you can create those systems so that you can probably maybe do it yourself, uh, at least for the first couple. Um, great. I think that was, that was awesome. Did you have anything there that you want to add? Cause I just said, well, I want a fun one. And I don't even know if you would even have this because you have someone else managing this, but any war stories, um, from an Airbnb that's like, or not an Airbnb, like short term, I'm just like something went wrong. So we always have some interesting stories from our investors. Yeah. We always, uh, yeah. So I have the basic stories about like, yeah, there's been parties there and whatever, but, um, there was a really fun one for my friend, Michael Glassby. He's an investor and actually he'd be really good for the show. Um, but he has a duplex that in Fayetteville and he was house hacking it and short-term rental on the side that he wasn't living in. And I was actually dropping him off and we were coming up the street and we saw an RV and like 25 people at the duplex, like in the driveway. And it's a tailgating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, it's like, they're like partying and it, yeah, it's a two one with an RV in the driveway and it's right. And he has a property manager that's running it, but like, he like pretended like he wasn't the owner at all. He just like, Hey, what up guys? And like went in the house quietly and then called the property manager. <laughs> so yeah, um, God, geez. That's funny. Full, full on rave in the yeah. day. <laughs> so 
that's that's cool. We've got, I mean, we've had some crazy ones, people dying in properties, not us, but like other stories that have been shared here. Guys just passed away in the properties, got killed. That was David Grabbin, right? That was episode like 10. It was early, early on, but, um, that was cool. Thanks for sharing. Damn. So yeah, yeah. You, you, we don't need to go there. We don't need to bring it back, but, um, rest in peace. Let's talk about your favorite or most lucrative deal. Like a deal that pops out to you in your portfolio, just to give early investors an idea of, you know, some possible returns on what they could see in an investment property. If you could bring us through one, just like go through property type, how you found it. Yeah. Just like the the entire walkthrough. I just, I just pulled it up. Okay. So, um, I've done a bunch of different deals. I've done the 25% down. I've done house hacking, VA loan. Um, but so the burn B is basically what I do or what I did most of. Um, and so this one in particular is a single family courthouse auction foreclosure. So it was on the MLS and I like the courthouse in particular because they are absolutely horrendous, which scares away a lot of people. Like at least in Fayetteville, North Carolina, the system is completely archaic and no one wants to do it. It's awful. So that's good. Um, less competition. So the purchase price was $52,000. There was $14,000 in repairs. Um, so I was all in around $76,000. And then I, um, put in, oh wait, the furnishing set was 8,000. So all in around 76 after that. Got it. Um, and used a line of credit to purchase and pay for repairs and furnishing. ARB was 110. And then I did delayed financing, which delayed financing. Are you guys familiar? With the delayed financing? No, totally no. No. Okay, so it's when you buy a property in either in cash or a form of cash, so line of credit, private money, anything without a lien against the property. The six month seasoning period that you'll generally see in order to refinance at that full seventy five percent of your ARV um, is waived. So because you bought it cash or any form of cash, it's delayed the financing, and so you are able to pull out. Um, either 75% of the ARV or the max of which is on the closing disclosure, whichever one is higher. So the max that you can pull out is what you put in. But the cool thing about it is as long as you plan to do the delayed financing upfront, when you do that initial close, if you put the purchase price, if you put all of the furnishing, if you put all of the renovation, insurance costs, anything you can do to load up that CD, then you can pull out um, all of that money if the ARB supports without having that six month seasoning period. So I was able to wow. recycle those funds in three months as opposed to six and move it on to the next one faster. Does that make sense? Just when, the re- when the renovations are complete. Exactly. Yeah. When the renovations are complete and you don't even have to have a tenant in place. Like it's literally when the renovations are complete, you can order the appraisal. So yeah. that's, that's incredible. When you said you bought it on a line of credit, because this is this is re- inception of recycling right here. When you bought it on a line of credit, was that a, yeah. a home equity line of credit from a no. different property? Oh my God. It, unsecured lines used to be a thing. At First Citizens Bank, I like you. So a bunch of different banks, you just walk around and everyone will tell you no. And then eventually someone will tell you yes. And I got $76,000 in lines of credit unsecured from First Citizens Bank one day. <laughs> so wow. that's cool. It helps. Okay. So amazing. like, they don't do that anymore because market, everything's changed. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, can't, but but what did you do with that property? Then did you end up renting it out? What was the next? Yeah. So I put the furnishing on the CD. So I was able to pull that out as well and it was fully furnished and now it's a short-term rental. And on average, my short-term rentals do about a thousand dollars in cash flow 
per door. That was actually going to be my next question. So yeah, yeah, do some math there, people. And that's after- 18 of those. <laughs> Well, you know, it sounds really great until, you know, you buy that 1830 property, which that's a whole, and then, you know, it looks really good. And then the plumbing should have been completely redone and wasn't. And it's, yeah, it's real estate is a long game. Everything sounds glorious and then you're living it. And then it still is really great. But I would just say that make sure you're thinking long-term it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Totally, Shelby. And honestly, a lot of that's the cost of doing business. And the good news about when you run into those problems as a seasoned investor with dozens of units is that you can sustain the hits. What you don't want that to happen is if it's your first or second or third, and then you get a sour taste in your mouth about having to do $10,000 worth of repairs. You didn't know what you got yourself into. You think it's a firestorm and you kind of lose the luster. But if you have, I don't know at what point in your journey you bought this property, but if you have 15, 20 units to sustain, those hits are just going to come. It's just part of it. Right. Exactly. And they've already come for us. We've had to replace, I had to redo a bathroom, redo furnaces, roof, what you name it, but you kind of keep your eye on the prize in the long game and it all comes out in the wash for you. Exactly. Yeah. So what's, what's given you the most peace of mind ha- having worked in the, in the real estate investment world. And I'm thinking like specifically Corey and I are at the point where we are think we're looking for as much peace of mind and, and time freedom to go, analyze, find, network, get more properties under our belt. And we're, we're thinking about transitioning to getting a property manager. And because we're self-managing right now, we're, our, most of our properties are like an hour away. So it's not crazy. We, we're, not go, we're not going to them to fix them anyways. We're calling right. someone, but it just totally. be, it takes a break. It pulls you out of your day, right? And, and you just can't get back in the flow on certain things because a firestorm happens or whatever it is, like yes. um, just random plumbing things, just a pain in the ass. Even if it takes 20 minutes, a pain the in the fire ass. company's there and you have to replace the furnace and the, and, the, and the oven at the same time because there's carbon monoxide in the whole house. You know, the whole the stuff. The roof's leaking. Yeah, it's great. There's, there's <laughs> really things. But things you just don't want to be on the phone for. So peace yeah. of mind for us, a goal this year is like, Hey, listen, we're just going to get a property manager. It's, and just call it a day so we can move on. Have you done anything within your business that has given you peace of mind and, and let us know what that is. So we can potentially Self- take that extremely on. selfishly. Let us know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, the biggest thing for me is the team. Like, and what, by the team, it can be whatever you want it, but it's like your lenders are your team. Your attorneys are your team. Brokers are your team. Inspectors, your property managers, Um, your bookkeeper is your team and having the right people will give you the right, the total peace of mind. And they're not easy to find. Like not every person you talk to is going to be the right fit. Um, Eventually you get to the point where you can identify it quicker through pain and through experience. Um, But yeah, property managers was a great way to start. So I did, I self-managed up until I had 16 doors and then I was like, no, fuck this shit, man. So yeah, property manager, the long-term property manager works, the short-term property manager works. And, and for me, I have finally found almost in every single piece of the puzzle, whether it's my investments or whether it's my real estate brokerage business, that I have the right people to handle almost any problem. And it's all about the people. It really is. I, I love that advice. And it, it is. And we have a great team in place. I mean, I, I know if I'm thinking who's our contractor. You're thinking of the same guy right off the top of your, the top of your head, our boy, Joey. So it's like, we know that if you have a contractor, a lawyer, just somebody to call a guy or a gal to call in that scenario, that obviously helps us out. And we're being modest with it, but like we do self-manage, but we don't go, we just said, we don't go to our properties. We do have a plumber. We have a, a handyman. We have a contractor. So it is, 
somewhat organized for us. And I think that that's kind of the way to get yourself out of it. If you're driving to your properties by yourself, right. trying to think that you have to do everything, I can tell you for sure you don't. That yeah. is something that we're not the handy guys anyway. So we wouldn't be. Doing yeah. That, it's but. actually, I can't believe I said we self-manage when we literally don't go to the property at all. We just, <laughs> we, 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 we call people. We just don't want to, and that, we're that lazy. We don't even want to be the liaisons anymore. We're like, nah, just call me if it's over 500 bucks. We'll be good at that. Yeah, Seriously. exactly. Two of my favorite things is um, when something comes in, it's not, when am I going to do it? It's who can do this. Um, so that change, it. yeah, that change in the mindset. And then the other thing is, does it require my brain to do this? If it doesn't require my brain to do this, then someone, somebody else should be doing it. So those are like... The two things. That's a, that's awesome because even the little things like us, like if something happens in our property, we're generally speaking to each other about what should we do. And realistically, like a property manager just has like, boom, this is what we do. Yeah, and like, we don't care if it's, yeah. that's the thing. If, it's less, if it doesn't fucking matter. Like, it, it generally almost a hundred percent of the time doesn't matter at all. And if <laughs> we call, okay, we call each other and say, Hey dude, what do you think we should do that? We don't know shit about plumbing. We know nothing about plumbing. Why am I calling right. this guy yeah. to say, dude, we think like, yes. no, I rather have I'm the worst guy to call. We start, we start goofing around. We're like, ah, 30 minutes talking about like how he can make millions of dollars. Like it, it gets off track. We're like, dude, let's just call a property manager. They'll vet it out between three different companies. I don't want to have to worry about going to Google and this, this company got five stars. This got four. They called me back. They didn't. Oh, they won't go out in emergency. I'm, I'm done with that. Like it's, it's really not that bad. Like some people are like, dude, I'll do that. But when you no, your brain you can generate more income elsewhere. My, my time yes. is better used elsewhere and to get, totally. you know, build our empire here. So right. thanks you for, should be the conductor of the orchestra. Think about like mm -hmm. that too. That's like what my dad used to say that he's like, okay, well, who's conducting, who's the one with the vision and saying, okay, you got this piece, you got this piece and then oversee the whole show. Great. Love that. That's awesome. <laughs> so as we wind down the show here a little bit, I, um, I want to talk about your five pillars realty group. Uh, because the way that you earn your active income, you're a realtor, right? That's what you do. Great. Yes. So if, if you could talk to us about kind of the five pillars team and, and where you are and what you provide for your clients, it'd be cool to, for people to hear that. I am so obsessed with my team. It's, it's sickening. <laughs> Tell so, us all about it. <laughs> so it's, it's not, um, it's built, it's become a community. It really has become a community. And I'm far more focused on the agents than I am on, uh, like you said, what do you provide for your clients? Like we're fucking great. We really are like, go to Google, check our reviews. We're fucking great. But I, yeah. I, I care more about the agents out there who are investor minded. Like the majority of our team started military based decided real estate, you know, they got bit by the, the bug and they're like, you know what, I can do this. And I'm going to use real estate, being an agent as a means to generate my active income to fuel my passive. And I want to go as quickly as I can. I want to cut the fat, build the systems fast, leverage, and then optimize my entire world. So that way I can actively pursue my real goals. And of course we want to help people along the way, but like, that's where I'm passionate. I'm passionate about like finding that person who's fire in their life and they want to do an amazing job at all the things they want to build their systems right and then scale so that's what we're about that's amazing that speaking my language yeah yeah you that. need anybody to join your team let's go yeah or oh yeah we're nationwide <laughs> <laughs> we're so that you did ask where we are so we are nationwide um oh, cool. if anyone is 
looking for a freaking community of other people like them, then um, hit me up. That's awesome. Yeah, Love that's that. great. Very, very cool. So I think we made it to the core four. And in the core four, we are going to ask you four questions. We ask all our guests just to get to know you a little bit more personally, kind of what makes you tick. Um, but you're a firecracker. So <laughs> starter easy, dude. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go uh, first is what is your favorite investing or business book, real estate book that kind of helped navigate you through your journey? So the, the one that had the biggest impact on me, not even a real estate book, was the, the Miracle Morning Millionaires. That specific, Miracle Morning Millionaires book changed my whole fucking world. Um, and it, it is one of those things where it's kind of like whatever book hits you at the right time. So maybe that's not the exact book for that person, but I needed it at that time in my life. I was dying and it changed everything. And I still do Miracle Mornings to this day. So. I was going to ask you, Shelby, you look like you sound like and look like the person who may be waking up at 4 a.m. Like, like, is that, are you all over it? Like, 4 a.m. is my wake up time. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's 8 30 our time. I don't know what time it is your time, but she's, that's, you're in the Eastern time zone too, right? I mean, yo, this, this start, this is my past my bedtime. I was gonna say, you are, but you are like a ball of energy going. So uh, I'm just like, I, you know, that's a, 4 a.m. is not. See in the morning, it's scary. Right. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I have committed myself to realizing. I think I know who I am. I'm not getting up at 4 a.m. I'm just not doing it. Maybe if something changes, like I would. But I'm a night person. Like I can stay up all night and do this. And I don't know if there's a better way. Maybe there is. Maybe I think it's just kind of 6 a.m. guy or something. Yeah, for sure. But I think that it's kind of like tailor it towards your life. But if you can do 4 a.m., that is amazing. So probably. yeah, it's not for everyone, but I love it. Yeah. So <laughs> Miracle Morning, it's by Hal Elrod, correct? Is that the same book yes. that you're talking about? Okay. Yeah, and great. David Osborne co-authored. Yeah. Not my yes. dad, yes. who's also named David Osborne. Oh. Not the <laughs> conductor. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> cool. So second question on the core four is, if you had an additional 50K handed to you right now cash mm -hmm. what would you do with it and why mm. that is such a great question thank you that you is so hard that's, that's why i asked it Let's i go. damn it that wasn't on the little four that you told me in the beginning surprise <laughs> Just kidding. I'm yeah um let's see i would i would probably honestly i want to learn more about investing in something other than real estate I know that's probably not the answer you want to hear. No, it's a great. I answer. actually want anything. Yeah. I, are you going to surprise me with crypto right now? Are you about to buy a Bitcoin? No, I'm not smart enough. I told you in the beginning with the camera issues, I'm an idiot. You know. <laughs> the best and most practical answer would be to do another type of burn B, and I don't have a better answer for it right now. But I would. I'm just telling you, I am interested in learning about other ways to invest. Got it. Love that. Cool. So, third question. <laughs> What's the biggest mistake, Shelby, that you've made in your investing journey so far? Yeah, and how have, you, how have you learned from it? Um, yeah, so there's been several, but I would say, and I think if you asked me on a different day, I'd probably have a different answer. But today, my biggest mistake would be um, the people who I didn't fire soon enough. And I know that sounds harsh, but I think a lot of people know in their gut when someone is not right for them and they're not performing it the way they should. And they make up all these excuses for why things might be happening the way they are. And you drag it out and six months down the road, you spend a shit ton of money and you wasted a shit ton of time only to do the thing that you should have done six months ago. I got a question for you. That That's a hard one, right? Um, like you're, you have a relationship with that person. So how do you... 
I don't know, say you've worked together for four or five years, something like that, or you have some sort of relationship. Like how, how do you even approach that conversation? Cause there's so many people I, I like think about friends, family, and, or just like your coworkers almost become your family at some point. Mm-hmm. And I, an employee can be the same way. I, I fired a friend before. Yeah. So it, it is, and it's, it's okay. For me, it is all about the performance history and it being documented. So military kicks in full throttle. You have the initial counseling with expectations at the 30, 60 and 90 day mark. You're relooking those expectations and you're saying, here's what you did. Well, here's what you need to improve on. You don't see improvement by that 90 days. First of all, you're not getting hired after that point at the quarterly counseling. you'll go over what happened over the past quarter. And during that quarter, during the 30, 60, 90 and every quarter, I have what I call like a one-on-one sheet, but what my people call a title sheet, because if I see stuff continually, you can't just see it and not document it. So I see it, I put it on the title sheet with the date and what occurred. So that way at the counseling, when it's like, hey, these were the original expectations and this is what occurred. They're like, that didn't occur. And I'm like, I'm gonna state this time this occurred and here are all the examples. So it becomes less of a, I feel, I'm so sorry that we feel this way. It's like, hey, I love you a lot. I will still love you a lot, but the performance is not meeting standards. So I'm really sorry, but this is no longer a good fit. Yep. So it's just an accountability thing, really. That's all it is. It's an accountability sheet and you're, you're holding people accountable. And that's, that's uh, one of the reasons people told us not to get into to business together, not to, because we're like best friends, to not mm-hmm. partner with your best friend because it, it's, it, you're, you know, it's eventually going to, you're eventually going to break up, so to speak, and you're not going to know how to deal with that. And it's like, no, we just hold each other accountable. Like we, yeah. that's what we do, you know? And that's, uh, that's There's pros the same thing with, you know, exactly really? same thing with, with having an employees. We don't have any employees, but Think about all the people that didn't start a business because they didn't have an accountability partner, anyone to get them excited every single day or to feel like they needed to do more for like, I'll challenge them any day of the week. I'm like, dude, you're still sitting at home, not doing shit. Yeah. And we're, you know, we may not be everything in line, perfectly streamlined, but we're going, you know what I mean? Yeah, we're having fun. Doing trains it. moving. And honestly, like, I don't, the money's, you think about the journey, like you're, we're, we're getting older. We understand like the shit we're going to look back with kids and family and be like, Hey, remember all those nights we, we, we did the podcast. We, we got, got all the properties. Now we have some wealth here, but like, I don't truly think it's all about that all the time. Um, and you know, maybe the pandemic makes you think of that and like people passing away and shit. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm getting emotional here, but I just think about that. It's, it's more, I rather have the fun than think about the cash all the time, but also not to like bring it back. I want to talk about, um, that conversation we just had with, you with firing and hiring people like you have crazy intangibles. I work in, I work in sales and, and leadership and it takes like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but when we, we hire people, you look and I can just tell a leader from not a leader. So I assume within your company, you're in a leadership position because to go through those steps and you put on this crazy smile and then we're like, yeah, sorry, you're out because of X, Y, Z. I'm like, that's not easy to do, but like to be able to brush it off too is another intangible that I don't know. I just wanted to point that out. Like I, it takes, I think it takes someone to see someone. Um, and I can appreciate that. So I, your team's lucky to have you. That's it's, you're doing things that are pretty tough. So I don't like firing people. I don't yeah. either. It sucks, but no, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It, it truly, but it takes, it takes having systems and processes in place, what you do for your real estate business, right? It translates to your other businesses too. And, well, that's my thing too. It's like, when I have to make those hard calls, I, it's not about me. It's about if there is someone who's not doing everything they should be for the team, it's everyone else who suffers for it. And so that's kind of the mentality too. And a players want to be around a players. 
So that's exactly it. The, first, the next time you let, let in someone who's subpar, that's where the whole group is like, eh, looking around, like, I'm not sure this is for me anymore. It throws you okay. off filter. Yeah. yeah, it it actually pisses me off a lot, That's and it's hard to. It's, extremely good point. And then the two A players are talking to each other, two, and, three, four, and then you're like, oh shit, like, yes. how do and I you bring? Kept, you kept the C player, and the, the two A players left. And it's because it's you very felt hard bad. to elevate. Yeah, no, you almost feel worse because it's it is sometimes you truly no matter what you can do what you do, and I you know there'll be so many people that challenge us and like coaching and right. You can coach just a C up to an A. Like there's some it factor that some people that just don't have an internal drive. You can have all the motivation in the world, but there's, and it's, it's so hard because we were going through hiring processes for certain things. And um, we, I just was talking with another A player and we were like, dude, like I just, we need to hire this person. I don't know. I can't like, I have, they're pretty equal in, in every other thing on paper, but they have, this person has the it factor and that's why we need them. And so it's, it's so hard to put it into one word. You really can't, there's like a, a million different things. So I know exactly what you're talking about though. You're spot on. Fourth question, legacy. Legacy. Yeah. Sorry. I got on tangent. No, you're good. So <laughs> this is a cool one and uh, it helps. This is, this is really what helps us get to know you. It's just like, what gets you out of bed every morning? Like, what do you want your legacy to be? Why are you doing this whole thing? 74 units. People would just be like, cool. I'm good. I'm done. Thousand bucks per short term rental. I got 18, but now you have a team. You have your, you know, like, why the heck are you doing this whole thing with full set, a full head of steam? Cause you surely are. It is so funny that you say that. Cause I go through just probably like everyone, like the, why the hell am I doing this? Like there are absolutely waves. And then it comes, it comes to this point where it's like, why not? It's like, I have a choice. I can either do nothing and then ultimately kind of feel like shit and like look around and like, woe is me and get sluggish and be worse and worse every day. Or I can go out and be the freaking best thing that I possibly can because the alternative looks pretty bleak. So I, that's not a good, most people are like my kids and my, all these things. And I'm just like, all right, why not, man? Let's fucking go. <laughs> well, that why not also plays to, you have a certain gift and I think just sitting on your ass, you're not able to share that with other people. And then little do you know that gift, like the energy that you're emulating off and like the lessons you're teaching people and just even people watching you continually do your thing at a high level that that makes them want to do things. And it's just this spider web effect, right? And it goes down. So it is leaving a legacy, whether you know it or not, just by getting up and doing what you do. So I think it's super cool. We got that was a ton amazing. of you like that. Yeah, that's that was good. That was after some inception, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's um, very good. That's a conductor, baby. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No, so, no, I'm just messing around. But seriously, we got a lot of energy out of this whole thing. So I, I know we have the last segment of the show, but yeah, eight thirty. I can't believe we're like we're killing right now. So that's due to you. Thanks. Yep, we made it to the last drop. And uh, the last drop is. The last segment of the show, last question for you. Knowing what you know now, Shelby, what advice would you give your younger self? Maybe think back to, I don't know, late teenage, 18, 19, 20-year-old self. This, again, ask me on a different day, I'd probably come up with something different. But what just hit me right now is that what I would tell my 18-year-old self is that no one fucking cares what you're doing. So when I was 18, I was like, oh, well, if I do that, what are they going to say? What will I look like? What will they think? Okay, no one's fucking watching me. They're all caring about themselves. 
in their own yeah. freaking world. So I might as well just like leave that insecurity and that amount of energy that consumes you wondering and caring what other people are saying about you, which is nothing, and pour all of that into whatever brings you the most energy and, and puts the the most impact on your most important next step. That's really cool. It's yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> crazy how priorities change. I'm just thinking of like 18, 19 year old self, me thinking I'm like 18, I'm, I don't know, like maybe senior in high school, freshman in college, right? You're just like, you're, it's just a whole different ball game. You're thinking of like, what, Oh, what am I going to wear today? How am I going to look? Got to go yeah. go to the gym. I got to go like, Oh, we're going to this party tonight. Like, Oh, I got to go to class. I don't know what I want to do with my whole life, but then you get out of school and this is just kind of like our trajectories, people that went to college or whatever this, then you're, you're going through the motions and then you're, one day you're done and you're like, Oh shit, I have to like go make money now. And then you start making money and you're like, Oh damn, I don't make enough at all. <laughs> this is horrible. Like to, how did this guy afford this car? How does he afford to buy this house or she? And I'm like, okay, I got to change things up. And then you get into the cycle of like, do I stay, do I stay in this, in this company? Because it's, it's a nice name, right? Like, do I feel fulfilled? And then you see entrepreneurs like, damn, that person's working for themselves. They, they must have so much time to do whatever they want. And then you become an entrepreneur and you're like, Oh shit, I work a hundred hours a week. Jokes on me. Absolute joke. So, but it is a little bit more fulfilling, right? You Mm -hmm. like, if you're a baby, then you help. So I don't know. There's a lot of different things that go through your head in like every stage of your life, the older you get and like the more experiences you go through, it changes. So I I don't know. Like I'm thinking if I was asked this question, 18, 20 year olds, obviously everyone would say start younger, right? Like I wish I knew what I knew now back then, but no one does. So I don't know. I appreciate your answer. That was, that was good. Yeah, it was a great answer. So Shelby, we, yeah, we really appreciate you coming on. This has been awesome. It's been a pleasure. If people are really interested in your story, they want to learn more about you. Maybe they are looking for a property. Maybe they want to be another, another rockstar on your team for whatever reason they want to network. What's the best place for people to get in touch with you? So fivepillarsrealty.com, there's a contact section if you're looking for to work with us, either as a client nationwide, or if you're an agent who wants to be a part of our community. Um, So that's a great place for that. Or if you just want me directly to, Instagram is actually a great place to go. It's Real Estate with Shelby. And I just started a YouTube channel. I post my very first video yesterday. It's going to be better next week. Um, But yeah, Shelby Osborne on YouTube. For Perfect. We will link all out. that. We'll <laughs> link all that in the show notes so people can find you. Cool. Um, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. As I said, the energy was appreciated. It, it got us going. I know it's a late one for us. Hundred percent. And we know it's past your bedtime. You know you gotta get, get up. You gotta, get up, in, you gotta get up in three hours. So. Guys, <laughs> but cool. thanks for coming on. We love. Thank it. you so much. Too. I had a great time. Appreciate you guys. Cool. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed the show and like what you heard, please subscribe, share with friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The more ratings we get, the more eyes we'll get on our show, and in turn, we'll be able to provide you all with high-quality guests. It's simple. Open your podcast app, type in our podcast name, The Weekly Juice, click on reviews, and let us know what you think. Thanks so much, and see you next week. 